the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You believe in God, you do well, the demons believe, and they shudder. They have two of the three necessary elements of salvation. We'll take a look at all three next, here on Truth For Today. Here in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31, we have a message called, What Will It Take for You to Believe? And we will see those three elements of saving faith, saving belief, and what it really takes from Jesus himself. We invite you to join us for today's broadcast of Truth For Today from Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. Again, we're in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. Here's our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard, with today's podcast. Turn to John 20, and we'll pick up at verse 24. What will it take uh, for God to make you believe Him? What will it take to make anyone believe in Jesus Christ? Are you aware that there's about mm, around 7 billion people on the planet now? And maybe one billion of them, maybe, um, maybe born-again believers. Uh, whatever. Let's, let's say that. So one out of seven people don't believe Jesus is the Christ. They do not believe he's the Son of God. And they do not have eternal life. Just if we were operating off of those figures, I can't prove that every one of that one billion say, but let's just operate off of that. If it's seven billion people... And one billion professed believers on the planet. There's a whole lot of people uh, that have not put faith in Christ. A whole lot of people are not yet convinced. So I ask myself, uh, what will it take for God, us, uh, a lot of times, to convince somebody of who Jesus Christ is and convince you so well you put your faith in him? Do any of you have that formula? Well, John has written a book, unlike any of the other synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. His material is selected. He picks eight stories not found in the other Gospels. And he's lined them up, lined them up, and he's got one goal in mind. And it's the theme of this book. This book, like 1 John, you don't know the key why the book was written until you read at the back, and you'll see it as we read the passage. Let's begin. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. He was not there that first Sunday. So you never know what you miss if you miss service. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands... And the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. 
Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We want to look at uh, uh, several things here as we wrap up this. Uh, We only have another chapter in the book, but here's where he hangs out the key to the book, the purpose. I'm going to look at three things. The purpose for which the book was written. We'll examine that closer. Two, the proofs that John rallied together to show Jesus to be not only the Christ, but Jesus to be the Son of God. Those rallied. What did he do to prove that? And it will be a review of the book, because this is the whole message of the book. And finally, we'll just look for a brief moment at the patience of God with unbelief. The patience of God with a doubting Thomas. He couldn't have been kinder to him for his, I won't believe, and Jesus actually accommodating and gives him unmistakable proof of who he is. Let's look at uh, the purpose of the book and get that kind of ingrained in our mind. And you may get out early today. I'm sickly, puny, and don't feel like preaching. All right? So if you don't like the sermon, too bad. I'm just glad I'm here. And uh, what I may do in this, this service, like the first, is we, we did a Q&A at the end. If there's anything about this gospel so far that you don't understand, we'll have a question and answer period if you want to. Uh, Why did he write this book? He wants you to show you the signs. He wants you to come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, believe he is the Son of God, and he wants you to believe. There's two reasons this book was written. One is evangelistic, and the other is apologetic. One I want you to believe I'm writing this book so that you will put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you read it just as literature, if you read it just as history, and you never put faith in Christ, you will have missed the purpose and the intent of the book. So this is why we often are giving this book to say, well, tell a a new person, tell them to read the book of John first. Did you know the book of John is the most difficult of the four Gospels? It's the hardest one to understand as far as the great theological treasures of it. Just get in John 5. Camp a little bit in John 10, John 16. Uh, 
It's profound theology, but we give it to them because he said this is the purpose for which it was written. So, in that, uh, if this is the purpose, I want you to believe that Jesus is the Christ. What is he saying? He's saying, Yeshua HaMashiach. I want you to believe this is the promised Messiah of the prophets and the Psalms. This is who he is, unmistakably, not another claiming one, not another itinerant prophet, whatever. He is the Messiah. He's the unique Messiah. Then he says something else. I want you to believe that he is the Son of God. Now, what in the world does that mean, Son of God? Uh, You see, when we think of Son, we think of progeny, we think of procreation, uh, we, we think of somebody spun off, this offspring. But the word Son in Scripture is used four different ways, of four different groups is this term used. Sons of God were used to refer to the angels in Job 1 and 2. In the morning of creation, the sons of God sang at creation. They went into the hallelujah chorus as they saw God spinning out the Milky Way as God created in those six days. They were in awe and they were singing. They were just overwhelmed. So angels are actually called sons of God. Now, what's interesting, you don't procreate angels. They weren't ever procreated. They never just spun off. They were created, no procreative power. So he's using that as a special category. Then he used son of God to speak of the nation of Israel. I have called my son out of Egypt, Hosea 11.1. They are my firstborn son. No other nation did he ever call his son. But he called Israel his son. He called Israel his firstborn. And whether you like Jews or not, God said, that's my firstborn people of all the nations, just as nations. And I've got special promises I've made to them. I've got a Messiah coming to them. I'll bring the scriptures through them. And I've got a kingdom program I'm going to fulfill to them. I'm going to fulfill it to Abraham, to David. I'm going to keep my promises to Israel. Treat them like my firstborn son. Double inheritance. Then, when you come to the New Testament, you've got us being called sons of God. Those who are born again are now in the category of a son. What's the difference of being a child of God and a son of God? Have you ever thought of that? There's places we're called children of God. There's places we're called sons of God. What's the difference? Well, this is the difference. A child may not uh, be entitled to the firstborn inheritance. A child simply means a birth relationship. Son was the position of privilege. And Galatians says that. We're no longer under babysitters and under tutors. And mentors, we are treated like sons. We have adult privileges. We have all the blessings of the household. 
So you are given this great status of being called a son of God. By the way, this is so important that on your worst day, the Spirit of God is the one yelling in your spirit, you're a son, you're a son, you're a son. You don't realize that, but it's true. Galatians 4 says, the Spirit cries out loudly. And Romans says, he's witnessing to my spirit. You are a son. Act like it. You are a son. And if you've never heard that, maybe you're not. Because it's a work the Spirit does in every believer. And it's not tied to your gender. Even a sister is called a son of God. You've been born to privilege. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, what is he? Some said he's a spinoff. God procreated him somewhere. At some point in time, he began. Not so. John began the book. In the beginning, while all things were there, he was already existing. He's eternal, never had a beginning. It's used when he called God his father. Look at uh, John 5, 5, um, 16. Jesus healed the man at the pool. Uh, and he just didn't do it on the right day. You know, you, you got to be sure you keep your religious calendar up. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. I don't think we'd think a thing about that if right now you said, My father. Did you know what? We're never told to call God my father. It's our father. We're in a community relationship. This is unique. Now watch. The Jews were offended by him saying that. God is my father. They got mad. Look what they did. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. And notice how they understood it. Making himself equal with God. Now, why didn't Christ correct their misunderstanding? Wouldn't that have been simple? Oh, oh, you don't understand. I'm not saying I'm equal with God. Yeah, I am saying that. There's nothing to correct. And then, if you read the rest of the chapter, he goes on to say, you know what? God, can, the Father can resurrect, so can I. God the Father, matter of fact, he won't even judge anybody. He's committed it all to me. The Father can do something, I can do it. He never refuted it, he just waited in. Absolutely, I am equal to the Father in authority and deity. John 10, 10, I, 10, 30, I and the Father are one. Oh, that's interesting. How is that possible? Is God the Father and the Son the same person? How could they be one? They're one in unity. And the word for one is neuter here. They're one thing. They share the essence of God. I and the Father share the same essence. We're one thing. We're God. I'm not the same person as the Father, but I'm of the same deity. I am God. He's God. So we're not duplicate persons. 
So this whole book is written, say, I've written this book in order that you may say, Jesus, the human Jesus, fulfills the office of Messiah, Christ. Two, I want you to know that this Jesus is God in the flesh. God in the flesh. Can you uh, believe in Jesus and buy other gods? Can you be saved and not believe in a Christ that is deity? That question came up in the first service. Someone says, can you be saved and not believe in his deity? Can you be saved and also go into the Muslim religion? Can you be saved and buy a lesser view of Jesus than what John portrays? Now, what did John do to defend his position? He gave eight signs, eight miracles. He turns water to wine. He heals the nobleman's son. He heals the man at the pool of Bethesda. He feeds 5,000 people in John 6. Uh, He raises Lazarus in chapter 11. Uh, He raises himself from the dead. In chapter 21, there's going to be a miraculous drought of fish that he does. He selects these miracles. Only God could do this. Only a man from God. Then, all through this book, he rallies the witnesses like he's in court. There's John the Baptist, the greatest prophet that ever lived among men. He said, I'm Messiah. I'm the Lamb of God. He announced it. I led a man to Christ in John 3, Nicodemus, a self-righteous Pharisee. John 4, I led a fallen woman to Christ. John 5, I got a man at the pool who'd been there 38 years well. On and on, I got these witnesses. The Father witnesses to me throughout the book. The Old Testament prophets, he said, witnessed to me over and over and over. Now, let me ask you, what more do you want? As though God needs to waste his breath proving to you anything. What would I have to do if you came and said, I don't believe you exist? Tell me that. Well, let me please do it. I I want you to believe I exist. And look at God. What does God have to do to prove to you that he really exists and that he's got a son called Jesus and that he's the only way to eternal life? How How has God communicated to us? His word, creation. He's hung out his signature on all of creation. He's given his word through prophets, through inscripturation, through the apostles. I mean, when you think about it, let's just see this. Well, I would believe if you gave me more proof. Is our problem that there's not enough proof? That's all I'm saying. Why is it that people don't accept it? No matter with irrefutable proof. Because of the fallenness in us, that we're darkened to the things of God, that the natural man does not welcome the things of God, but God has gone out of his way, gone out of his way to give us the proof, to give us the proof. I'm not asking you to believe something that I didn't authenticate by signs, authenticate by witnesses, uh, or do something like this. You remember when he came... They came to get him in the garden. 
Jesus did this. Uh, the guard spoke, uh, trying to get Jesus. Uh, I'm looking for Jesus, and Jesus simply said, I am. Uh, what did they do? Now you try that. A policeman's going to arrest you, and you just simply say, I am. Just say, just say I am. See what effect it has. No effect. This was an evidence that that I am term, I am, goes all the way back to Exodus 3. Because he revealed himself by a different name to the patriarchs than I am. Not to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, he appealed a different name. But when he met Moses at that bush, he said, the I am is talking to you, Moses. The I am that I am being. It's a Hebrew word. It's hard to get a handle on it. It's the verb to be. I am being what I am being. I am eternal. I'm unchanging. I am being what I will be. I am being what I will be. I am being what I will be. I am the I am God. And so seven times in the book, I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door to the sheepfold. I am. I am. I am. Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? The Jew did. Because they knew I am. Ego I me in the Greek. They knew that phrase right there. You don't go around saying you're I am. Unless you are. And so John says, I've written my book to show you that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, here's an interesting thing. What does believing mean? What does believing mean? Is it pure factual believing? I believe the facts. That's, that, you have to start with facts. What are you asking me to believe? So we start with knowledge, factual data. Give me the case. What are you asking me? Okay, here's the data you're asking me to believe. So just pure knowledge, and I'm afraid many people have been uh, so-called saved because they said, I believe Jesus died, buried, rose again, and they're not saved. But they know the formula. They said they believe it. They believe the facts. I believe the facts all my life. Raised in a Christian home. There's never been, been a time I need anyone to tell me the gospel. Tell that to the pagan kids. But I'm still going to hell. I was still lost. So I didn't get more information the night I got saved. I didn't say, whoo! Uh, I just found out Jesus uh, died. I just found out he's... No, I didn't find that out. I knew it all my life. I believed that. Wasn't in the dark. So there's three parts that the Latins developed over the concept of believe. And they used three Latin words. Gnosia, Ascentia, and Fiducia. And this is the three concepts that they unload from believe. One is facts, notion, the facts of the case. The second one is assent, 
I'm convinced these facts are true, and I give uh, consent. Subjectively, I resonate with it. It is true. I have the assurance that it is the truth. But you still haven't touched the will. It's only in fiducia that we get the word for rely, a commit, trust, trust. That something in me says, I will trust what I have revealed in these facts. And with that, we come to the end of our time together here on Truth For Today, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard. As we close out our program today, we would invite you to contact us. Let us know how the broadcast has encouraged you, has ministered to your walk and relationship with Christ. Now, there are a couple of ways that you can contact us. By phone, obviously the easiest, 855-833-9864. Again, simply call 855-833-9864. You can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. 94547 is the zip code. Now, the easiest way to get in touch with us would be through our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Now, as you stop by, you'll be able to drop us an email, but then take advantage of the many resource materials we have available, again, there at truthfortodayradio.org. You'll also be able to find out more about Valley Bible Church here in Hercules, who we are, what we believe, worship times, directions, and the like. Again, truthfortodayradio.org, or again, simply call 855-833-9864. Would you also bear in mind this radio broadcast is available through listener support. As you link arms with us financially, we are able to continue the ministry here on this radio station. So please consider that as you contact us. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.